Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today comes from Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And then I saw every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them say glory and or praise and glory and honor and might be to our God forever and ever. I'm actually going to need uh, some help from the people here in, in the front pews for this sermon right away here. But don't worry, I'm not going to ask you for much. It's going to be very, very easy. All right, so if you're holding something, I need you to put it down for just a moment. And uh, you won't have to stand up or anything. And um, just need a little bit of help. So what I need you to do is to take your arms and just go like this. That's easy. Okay, just the, hey, people, the front pews. Stop it. The front, the, like these, okay, hold on, hold on a second. Right here, right here, these pews. All right, so when I say on the count of three, do it. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, just go like that. Great, okay. Now, now we can do uh, the next pew here. Um, so this row right here, all the way down. Um, so first pew, do it. Go arms up, arms up, down. Okay, second pew, okay, there we go. Third pew, fourth pew, fifth pew, sixth pew, seventh pew. Okay, and then now, now you in the back, do it again. Okay, now the next pew. Okay, now come on, bring it back up, bring it back up. Bring it back up. My arms are excited. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay, bring it up. Bring it up. Bring it up. Okay, there we go. There we go. It's funny. Uh, I just did that because I wanted to know who was asleep. Um, and so, uh, anyhow, the reason why I actually had you do that was today our, converse, our, our question is about what is heaven like? What is heaven like? And one thing that we keep coming up against, uh, we, we talked about this a little bit in our sermon on praise in our series Encounter Jesus, and we talked about it last week when we talked about the nearness of Jesus' return and why he hasn't come back yet, it's this. Heaven is nearer than we might imagine. Heaven is nearer to us than we might imagine. And in fact, one way of answering, you know, what will heaven be like is to talk about what we will do in heaven. And a lot of those things that we do in heaven are going to be the same things that we're doing actually now here on earth, but it'll just be better. So you did the wave. Right, we started in the front pew, and then we worked our way back, and you guys did a great job. Many of you were really excited to do that. Maybe we'll do it again someday. Uh, and so we worked our way back, right? And that's kind of what it is to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there are some who have gone before us who have died, and now they're there in heaven sitting in the front pew. So you in the front pew, you, you were in heaven just a moment ago. It was great. Um, but those of you in the back who can't quite see what's going on, can't quite hear what's going on, wondering if it's, if it's ever going to get to you, maybe that's what it's like to be here on earth. Now, what started in heaven eventually found its way to you, right? And so it is that the praise of God, and that's one thing we'll be doing in heaven is praising God, the praise of God that begins in heaven actually flows its way from heaven all the way down to us here on earth. So those sitting in the front rows in heaven started to raise their hands in praise of Jesus. And those of you sitting in the back, well, it made its way to you, and you did the same thing, right? So the praise that happens in heaven merely begins in heaven, but it flows down here to earth. So what do we do in heaven? Well, we'll praise God just like we do now. Another thing, when we pray, when we pray to God, we see in, John, in Revelation chapter 5 that there are these figures called, called the elders. There's 24 of them, and they surround the throne. They surround the throne. And these elders carry in their arms golden bowls, and from these bowls is incense that, that rises out of these bowls. Those are your prayers. 
precious and valuable enough to be placed in gold. And they are sweet-smelling incense to God in heaven. And so your prayers in heaven are precious to God. Your prayers, even as you speak them on earth, as they arise to heaven, are precious to God. What we speak here on earth, God brings his ear close to hear. They are precious enough to be wrapped in gold, and they are a sweet smell of incense to our Lord. So we pray now, and we see that in heaven, those prayers are being offered up before God as incense and gold. Another thing about heaven, what's going on now, what's going on here, is that we're surrounded by angels. In heaven, there's thousands and thousands of angels, and here we have scripture that tells us that God has commanded his angels concerning you to protect you and to guard you. Up in heaven, they're praising God, surrounding the throne. Here they surround you to protect and guard you. And there's one last final point about what we do in heaven as we begin to answer our question, what heaven is like. And that's this. In heaven, it's all about Jesus. In heaven, it's all about Jesus. In fact, as we read the book of Revelation, the Apostle John points our eyes always towards the throne where the Lamb reigns and rules and to God, who also sits on the throne, God the Father. Our eyes are always there. All praise is directed towards the Father and the Son in heaven. And so also in this world, our eyes, our thoughts, our prayers, our lives are directed towards Jesus. The lives of the saints in heaven are directed towards Jesus. The lives of the saints here on earth, those who believe in Jesus, well, their lives are directed to him too. And so, again, as we think about heaven, it's unimaginable, but I would say that it's probably closer than what we imagine. We can imagine ourselves sitting in a, in a great stadium, in a great stadium where those, again, in the front rows are the ones who, who see God and the Lamb and who cheer at his every move and, and, and praise him and see his reign being unveiled on the earth. We, right now, are simply sitting in the back. We are a part of the kingdom of God. We are in the stadium. We've been washed through the waters of baptism. Our sins have been cleansed. We are as much a part of the kingdom of heaven as those who have gone before us are a part of the kingdom of heaven. We sit in the back pews, they in the front. But what actually goes on there? And we get a good answer to that question in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, we, we have John in his vision, and what he's seeing is the heavenly view of Jesus ascending into heaven, his ascension day. You see, in, in Acts chapter 1, we have the earthly view of Jesus' ascension. The ascension is that time where Jesus, after appearing to the disciples, after a period of 40 days, he was raised from the dead, he appeared to hundreds of witnesses, but then after 40 days, he went right up into heaven. The disciples see Jesus just sort of going up into heaven, maybe kind of doing like the Superman thing, I don't know, you know, hand on the hip, fist up in the air. He just goes up into heaven. There's no angels or thrones or glorious light. He just kind of goes. But in Revelation chapter 5, we see that moment from a different perspective. We see it from heaven's perspective. There we see a great time of silence in heaven because God... The Father in his right hand holds a scroll. There's writing on it, on the front and on the back. This scroll has God's will for all people 
for Christ re- up until the time of Christ's return and even beyond that. This scroll is sealed by seven seals. And no one, no one is worthy to open it. But then the Lamb enters. Jesus enters. And he, having conquered death, having risen to new life, having ascended now into heaven, takes the scroll. He is worthy. What happens from there is that these elders, these, these, these figures in heaven, they fall down and they begin to worship God and Jesus about how Jesus, our Lamb, with his blood, ransomed you, ransomed you from the powers of sin and death. His blood was the price to buy you back to God the Father, and he paid it. And how, having done that, he has made you into a kingdom of priests. And then, as the elders sing this song, then the angels, thousands and thousands of angels in heaven, pick up the song and sing about how Jesus alone is worthy of praise. But even that isn't enough. It seems like there's no choir big enough to sing the praise of Jesus. And so then, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them also begin to pick up this song of praise. Of glory and honor. Power and might be to God and the Lamb. This song overflows down to earth. And John sees one day the song that has begun in heaven will fill the entire earth where every voice will be lifted up in praise of Jesus. But that's the thing right there. As we think about heaven, maybe that's one part we struggle with. Praising God. I don't know about you, but I do know that this happens to me. It happens from time to time. I'll, I'll pray to God. I'll confess my sins. I'll pray to Him about the needs of other people, those who are sick, those who are poor. I'll pray to Him about, about the, my own problems, things that worry me, things that trouble me. That's easy. But if I were honest with you, I, I'd tell you that you know, I don't spend a lot of time in my prayers just simply saying praise and honor and glory and might be to God. I don't spend a lot of time in my prayers just praising God for who He is and what He has done for me. In fact, I spend very little. And I think the reason why I do that, and maybe it's the same for you, is this ongoing struggle that we have with grace. These qualities that are assigned to Jesus are qualities that we would all desire, right? That we would all desire to have praise and honor and glory and might. And these are things we spend our lives fighting for, to get, to carve out of this world for ourselves. We have our own kingdom that that we want to build up. We want praise. We want glory. We want honor. We want might. We want to have it and control it and make it utterly our own. It would be nice if I got to heaven and Jesus said, you know what? You did good work down there. Couldn't have done it without you. Great job, right? And I think there's a part of us that still thinks that that's the goal. That we should kind of work up this salvation thing a little bit. Get, you know, so that way when we get to heaven, we can come there with great pride over the things that we have done. Over the feats that we've accomplished, the good works. And then we can present them before Jesus and get that pat on the head that we've all been dying for. Good job. Man, you, were, you played a key role down there. You were vital. <laughs> 
Thanks be to God, then, that when we do arrive in heaven, this old sinful nature that continues to fight against grace, that, that continues to cover our ears when we hear the word that Jesus has done it all for you, that he alone has all these things, praise and honor and glory and might, and he freely shares them with his people. And as receivers of this grace, we respond and praise him and assign those things back to him. When we see Jesus in heaven, the sinful nature that always wants a little bit for itself will finally pass away. There will be no sin before Jesus. That fight, that struggle against his grace, that will that we have to make everything our own will die. And that will not rise. We will rise on the last day. But the sinful nature will stay in the ground where it belongs. Thanks be to God. Other questions? And again, we, we had a few questions about heaven, so I'm going to try to answer them one by one. And, but this first one actually isn't a question that I got, but it's something that I hear often enough that I thought I should address in this sermon. Have you ever heard somebody say, when somebody else dies, that, oh, heaven has gained another angel? You know, heaven's gained another angel. And, and the heart behind that is good, because they're talking about a person who was a servant in this life, you know, somebody who they dearly loved, somebody who they looked up to who was an example of righteousness, and maybe that's why they say that. I won't condemn the sentiment behind that, but I don't want us to lose our hope either in the gospel. You will not become an angel when you go to heaven. Jesus came and took on flesh to be like you, so that he might bear your pains, your sins, your sorrows, and so also then die for you and rise again so that one day you will know that you also rise again. Jesus came to redeem you as you are. You don't have to be made into some other kind of creature to be worthy of heaven. By believing in Jesus, you receive the full forgiveness of sins and you are covered with his righteousness. That faith, that makes you worthy of heaven. You don't have to become something different. In the end, Jesus will raise you. You will be you when Jesus returns. He will raise your body from the ground. You will be you, body and soul together, powered by the Holy Spirit to live forever. Heaven is not a scrubbing away of your identity or a change of who you are. Another question that we might ask is, will we know our family and friends in heaven? And there's no clear word in Scripture on this. In fact, Scripture usually talks about the resurrection more than it does heaven. But we can kind of infer a little bit here and there. One place we can go to is look at the transfiguration, this event where Jesus took a few of his disciples up on a mountain, and, and the glory of God and a cloud covered that mountain, and Jesus was transfigured before them. In other words, his appearance changed to this bright and shining, shining white. And there next to him appeared who? Moses and Elijah. And the disciples, we read in Matthew, recognized that it was Moses and Elijah. Even though Moses and Elijah had lived a few hundred years before them. Several hundred years. So then, somehow, some way, if they're able to recognize Moses and Elijah, perhaps then we're also able to recognize each other. Another question 
is in heaven, will the saints in heaven, are they aware of what goes on here on earth? And this is the part where I might get myself in a little bit of trouble because typically when you, when you read a lot of, of, of Lutheran doctrine, the answer is a flat out no. And the reason behind that is very good because if the saints saw what was going on in heaven or on earth, then they would be filled with sorrow, right? Because we make bad choices. We mess things up. Things get messed up for us. It's like watching a TV show that makes you a little bit sad, right? <laughs> you know, and so... Well, I would say that, that in heaven the saints are filled with, with joy and, and they're, they're, they have no sadness. Their joy is untouched. Perhaps, maybe, maybe there is some awareness of what goes on on earth. And that's because Jesus says in Luke chapter 15 that there's rejoicing over a sinner who repents in heaven. Every time a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. It'd be hard for me logistically to think about how that would be kept from all the other saints, like as if a sinner on earth repents and then Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the angels and the elders like go into a room and eat cake and then come back out and nobody knows what happened. Where did you go, Jesus? Uh, you'll find out later. I, I can't imagine that really happening. <laughs> and we also know in Revelation chapter 6 that there are saints underneath the altar who are waiting for Jesus to return. They cry out, how long? And so in some way, generally, Vaguely, dimly, they're kind of aware of, of, of some things. Probably only the joys. And we really don't get a lot of help. In, Revel in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we, we read that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But witnesses in the Bible, whenever somebody's a witness of something, they're a witness of Jesus. So we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of Jesus, not witnesses of us. So that scripture doesn't exactly point us to the fact that they're watching us all the time. Perhaps there is some awareness. Some awareness. But really, I think the heart behind a lot of these questions is a question about, will I be ready? Will I be ready? When I die, will I be ready? It's a fact we have to face in this world that if Jesus doesn't come back before we die, well, then we'll die. The only way to get out of death is for Jesus to return before that moment happens. Otherwise, each of us, bearing the wages of sin, which is death, our bodies will fall. We can look at it like this, though. It's spring and and it's getting warmer, and soon it's going to be summer. So this is a site you can see in many yards. You can see it in our yard, oftentimes. You drive through a neighborhood, you'll see children playing by a sprinkler. You know, there's the sprinklers that kind of shoot around in a circle. But then there's the lazy sprinklers, you know, the ones that, that kind of shoot streams of water up in the air and then slowly go this way and slowly go that way. And that's the one I want us to focus on right now, the lazy sprinkler. Children who have been through the winter, haven't been playing outside as much, are now getting reacquainted with the sprinkler, or maybe it's their first time with the sprinkler. And so what they'll typically do is they'll wait until the sprinkler's all the way over on the other side. And then they'll stand there and watch the sprinkler get closer and closer. And as it gets closer and closer, the shoulders get higher and higher and higher, right? And the hands kind of come up like this, and they squat down lower and lower and lower as the water continues to get closer and closer and closer. And they get real small, but it's inevitable if they stand there, the water will hit them, right? And then what happens when the water hits them? They squeal, right? There's a squeal. 
little bit of shock, a little bit of fear, and then all of a sudden, it's on, right? The, the fear is over. Now they're running and jumping over the sprinkler and, and, and inventing new ways to go through the sprinkler. And in some cases, a, a brother might be picking up the sprinkler and hosing down his sisters with it. That can happen in some yard somewhere, I'm sure. And so that's death. It draws near, it does. It scares us. We try to avoid it. We do everything in our power to resist it. We shrink away from it as low as we need to. It will come. It can be scary, shocking, even be painful. But it's just a moment. We believe in Jesus. After that moment has passed, we'll run with new strength in our legs new air in our lungs. We will really live. Really live. Luther talks about it like this. It's like birth. A baby in the womb. That's his world. The womb. It's small. It's comfortable. And being born is a scary thing. There's crying. Difficulty. Even pain. Then the child is brought out into a world that is far bigger than he or she could have ever imagined. Far greater than he or she could have ever known. That's death for the Christian. Luther tells us a couple other things. He has a sermon that he writes, or that he wrote, that's called On Preparing to Die. He says in this world, we should face death, face the reality of it. So that when it comes, we're not overwhelmed. Accept that it's true. But as we accept that it's true, we also look to the cross, Jesus who faced death for us, so that when we die, we know that there's one who already stood in death, and he will stand in death with us. And then when that moment comes, we actually turn away from contemplating our death, we turn our back to the sprinkler, and we focus on life, on the life that is to come, on the promise of the resurrection on the joy that will be in heaven while we wait for the resurrection. All of these have been given to us by Christ who has conquered all, his death on the cross for you, his resurrection for you. In this world now then, we repent of every sin, we confess every sin. Every suffering and trial, Luther tells us, is preparation for that day that we might die. Every struggle, every pain prepares us. Now we cling to the sacraments his body and blood, we draw near to the one who has conquered all, who comes to us in the flesh. And so we'll be ready by faith, by the power of the Lamb, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be ready. So what will we see when we get to heaven then? Well, we'll see Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr, as he's being stoned, sees heaven opened up, and there he sees the Father and the Son together. And John has kind of a strange depiction, at least to our eyes, to our thoughts, to our imagination about, about what we'll see. In, John, or in Revelation chapter 5, John sees the Lamb on his throne. He looks like he is pierced, and yet at the same time, bearing the marks of death, he is powerful. He has seven eyes on his head. Seven eyes that see you. Seven eyes that do not see your sin. Seven eyes that see how you are covered in righteousness. Seven eyes that see how your account, otherwise empty and blank, 
bleak has been filled up with all the good works that Jesus has done. All of them have been transferred to you, and that's what the lamb sees. Not only that, but this lamb has seven horns on his head. These seven horns represent his power and his might. This docile lamb, this lamb who is silent and to death, this, this lamb who is our friend and not ashamed to call us brothers, this lamb who will wipe every tear from our eyes on the day of resurrection, this lamb came and did battle with sin and death and Satan, and he worked that battle on the cross. He charged quickly with those seven horns and he pressed home. He pierced death with a wound that death will never recover from. And so right now, the great truth is this. Even though death terrifies us, death is bleeding out. Death will not recover. Death is dying. And though death might be flailing around with all of its power to strike and hurt us and bring us pain and grief, its time is coming up. Because there is something far greater than heaven. It is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, or the resurrection of the dead. On the day when Jesus will return, that will be a day where we gather before the Lamb on a new heavens, on a new earth, standing together in this flesh, praising Him. And wave after wave, front to back row, back row to front, all seeing Him clearly, singing praise honor and glory and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.